Hello, friends. I'm Chris, and this is my co-host, Jen. Hi. And (laughs) you are listening to Two Quiet Girls Talking. So welcome back. We appreciate everyone tuning back in this week. We had such an amazing response to our first episode. Definitely more downloads than we expected, so thank you for that. Thank you to everyone that listened and downloaded the show. Um, we're going to try to keep up with that momentum by keeping our shows each week interesting and relevant. And we also wanted to give you some ways to keep up with us. So um, you can download and subscribe to our show on iTunes. And if you are on iTunes, please leave us a five-star review. And that makes it easier for other people to find us as well. You can also like and follow us on Facebook under Two Quiet Girls and share us with your friends. And you can listen on Blog Talk, Radio, CastBox, or Stitcher. Um, Also wanted to give a shout-out to The Rusher. He is the man that uh, created our intro and outro music for us. So we have some kind of badass rock and roll music to intro us in. Um, Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I really like it. So if this is your first time joining us on Two Quiet Girls Talking, uh, this is a show where Jen and I discuss a variety of topics and issues, including current events, politics, economics, energy policy, personal development, social justice. And we discuss these things from a unique libertarian objectivist perspective. Um, There are many people out there, especially women, that share the points of view and opinions that we do, but don't often share those opinions because uh, we don't agree with or parrot the narrative that we're supposed to. We often face negative reactions when we attempt to share our unique perspectives. Um, So these perspectives are not being formed from seeing a meme or a blurb on TV. These are perspectives that come from lots of introspection and research. And this podcast is our way for these two quiet girls, at least, to get loud and talk about our opinions. So our main topic today, identity politics, fits right into that. Uh, But before we get into that, we'll check in with how we're doing on our New Year's resolutions and wrap up our discussion on Trump from two weeks ago. Uh, Jen, do you have anything you want to add before we get started today? Nope. I, I think uh, you did a great job in trilling. Awesome. Yay. Right. <laughs> Yay. Good job. <clears throat> Thanks. So how are you doing on your New Year's resolutions? What are your successes to start with? Okay. So successes is that I have not been <laughs> not cooking in the evening and saying, let's go get something fast, whatever. So That's great. I have been cooking, yes, and uh, and it's been great. We have gone out to eat a couple of times, but the times that we did fit within uh, the parameters of what I had decided would be okay. So that's good. Awesome. Um, sleeping is uh, probably 50-50. I'm doing definitely better than I was before the beginning of the year. Yeah. Not quite where I want to be. Um, Progress, but I think I'll not get perfection. There. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tendency that I have. I'm fighting against it. Um, but yeah, so pretty well for me. How about you? 
Um, my resolutions are going good as well. Um, as you know, we haven't quite been sticking with the 10,000 steps a day resolution, but that's because uh, Jen and I have incorporated in some strike training and doing some weightlifting, which is uh, super awesome and probably way better than, you know, just walking every day. So I'm okay with that. I'm okay with kind of um, changing that resolution up a little bit. Um, I have not been reading because I've been doing a kajillion other things instead. <laughs> <laughs> You've still got time this month, though. Take a I short do. Book. I have You know what's days. a good short book? You what's should that? read Ayn Rand's Anthem. Oh, okay. A That's one. a good one. Yeah. Have you ever read it? I have not. Okay. It's short. Um... And it's kind of a, a good um, – Short and sweet. Gosh. Short and sweet, and also it would be a good note to begin the year on, I think. Cool. Okay. Well, I'm going to try to do that in the next 10 days. That way I can make that resolution a check mark in my yes. book. Yes. Okay. Good. Yeah, and I, I've I've still been eating anything and everything that I want to, so I definitely haven't been keeping that New Year's resolution. I need to get better on that as well. <laughs> oh man! So how do you feel about the weightlifting? Are you liking it? I love it. Um, um I was just saying the other day that it's it's way different than cardio. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not that that same type of exhaustion that you get at the end of cardio, at the end of weightlifting, it's different. Um, And so I kind of dread, you know, doing weightlifting. I'm kind of not too excited about it while I'm doing it. But then afterwards, I definitely feel really good. I feel really strong, and I have a lot of energy for the rest of the day. Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. All right. (laughs) It's a... All right. All right. So, um, you know, like I said, progress, not perfection. We'll just keep working on our resolutions and keep updating you guys and, um, you know, just doing the best that, that we can. And like I said a couple weeks ago, life happens, and you just have to adjust when life happens and, you know, try and stick on track. Yeah, you can. keep the goal in mind and do what you can. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. So last week we ended with talking about Donald Trump and some of his appointments that he's made to his cabinet. Um, Most of them are now going through the congressional approval phase um, and should be getting approval here soon, if, if not already. And then Donald Trump himself is actually... Uh, going from our president-elect to our actual president tomorrow, Friday the 20th. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Jen? Are you excited? Are you scared? Are you neutral? Um, all of the above. <laughs> yes. I'm excited because it's the last day of Obama's presidency. Um, I'm scared because I, I don't really know what Trump is going to do and all these new people. It could be bad. (laughs) And I'm also neutral because, like I told friends who would ask me about the election, I didn't have a dog in this fight. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was I was not voting for either of the major candidates, so you know, it's all one to me. <laughs> Mike, I lost. <laughs> so yeah, that, yeah. And the funny thing is, is you know, as a libertarian, that's pretty much always the case. So you yeah. kind of get used to losing, and it's okay. Um, this year was a little bit different because we had a candidate that was just so so different than anything we've ever seen before. And yeah. like I mentioned last time, a lot of libertarians are very excited about that because mm-hmm. he is different. He doesn't seem to want to go along with, it, with what the establishment wants him to. He seems very mm-hmm. anti-media, which is very interesting. So a lot of libertarians get excited over that, but there's still this fear around him in that you don't know what to expect. Um, I mentioned, you know, a couple weeks ago that I do think that in his heart of hearts, he does want to make America great again. I think he loves this country. But the more research I do into the people that he's appointing into some of these positions, the more I'm starting to feel like maybe he loves our country too much. Maybe he just wants to wrap us up in this big bear hug and just keep us all inside the country and not let anyone else in and just you know, keep us isolated there. And that's a little scary. I, I like that. That was really funny. Um, yeah, it is a little scary. Um, that leads us straight into Steve Bannon, right? Steve Bannon and Jeff Sessions. And so Jeff the- Sessions. The last time we talked, Jenny, you asked me about Jeff Sessions and his opinions on legal immigration. So we knew that he was definitely opposed to illegal immigration, you know, not a very controversial point of view. But he's also opposed to legal immigration, which is a little strange. Yeah, a little. So you were asking me for some specifics and I didn't have them last show so I did a little bit more research for this show and um, I do have some information to share in terms of what his viewpoints are around legal immigration mm-hmm. so basically <clears throat> he has opposed nearly every immigration bill that has come before the Senate in the past two decades that have included and passed for citizenship for immigrants in the country illegally. Mm -hmm. He's also fought legal immigration, including guest worker programs and visa programs, right? So these are people that are coming to our country to work, to contribute to the economy, to learn here, and sometimes even to stay here as Mm -hmm. citizens. So why does Um, he, does he say why he opposes these legal immigration measures? He does. So in 2015, he wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post. Mm -hmm. And this is what he believes. And I'm quoting directly from the article here. Um, He's advocating for slowing the pace of legal immigration supposedly to increase job opportunities 
for native-born, low-skilled workers, particularly African Americans. He equates a wave of immigration from the 1970s to the present with the continuing contraction of the middle class. He thinks that admitting too many foreign-born workers lowers the wages of Americans, and he worries darkly about the effect of so many foreigners on schools, hospitals, and other community resources. (laughs) Okay. Wow. Yes. So what he's doing here is he's taking a look at some data um, from the first great wave of U.S. immigration that took place from 1880 to 1930. Mm-hmm. Uh, during this time, the foreign-born population in our country doubled from 6.7 to 14.2 million people. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened is they ended up making changes to immigration law during this time to reduce admissions mm-hmm. and through that, they were able to decrease the foreign-born population until it fell to about 9.6 million in, in 1970. Um, during this low immigration period, uh, median compensation for U.S. workers surged, increasing more than 90% from 1948 to 1973. So he believes that those restrictions that were made Um, to immigration law directly correlated to the median compensation for U.S. workers increasing. Okay. Um, (laughs) A lot to digest there. (laughs) Yeah, I don't even really know what to say there. Well, it's it's pretty obvious from his, the conclusion that he's drawing there that he just does not understand um, economics at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Cato actually published a great rebuttal to his op-ed and we'll, we'll put a link to that rebuttal on the show notes. Um, But they just tore his arguments apart one by one. The basic idea that people need to take away from this is that Immigrants coming to our country are not taking away our jobs. There's not a fixed supply of jobs, right? And, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, so I was going to say also, a, a person, no person has a right to a job over another exactly. person. Exactly. That's a the good point. The business owner has the right to choose who they think is the best fit for the job. That's oh, a man. good point. Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. So much collectivism. So much collectivism, <laughs> Kristen. Yes, uh, yes. And what he doesn't seem to understand is that the more open the labor market is, the more unregulated the labor market is, the more we get wage competition, right? Mm-hmm. And the economic gains inside an unregulated uh, labor market is going to outweigh any foreign-born, low-skill worker coming in, taking Mm -hmm. a low-wage job. Yep. Right? Yeah. it's it's, It's an economic benefit to our country to have immigration, 
and to have a pathway for people to come here and work um, and become citizens of our country. And there should always be a pathway for illegal immigration. Always, always, always. We cannot put this wall around our country. We cannot just stop letting people in because we're afraid that they're going to take our jobs or we're in our school system or um, take up our community resources, right? That's right. not for our government to provide anyways. That's for our communities to provide. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed on that. Um, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm really interested to see what is going to happen with immigration in this, <laughs> in this new administration. Yes, uh, yes, because Trump really seems to be surrounding himself with people that are uh, very nationalist. Mm-hmm. And it really does make you wonder, you know, is, is, he, is he really going to build a wall, not just between us and Mexico, but between us and the rest of the world? Yeah, well, we'll just have to wait and see on that, won't we? Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, and let's hope not. <laughs> yes, let's hope not. Bringing in talent from other countries, people that have that are not criminals and yeah, people that are not criminals should be allowed in. Sorry for that little brain uh, thing there I've got going on right now. (laughs) That's okay. You've had a rough day. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) Anyone listening should know that Denny and I are both under the influence at this moment. Not in a bad way. Like, no, I've had like one ounce of wine <laughs> so far. And I've had exactly one beer, but my tolerance is solo right now. Yeah, very true. And just for a little bit of background, I did have a rough day today, and uh, this podcast is how I'm unwinding with a little bit of wine. Yay! Right. Yay. Okay. All right. That's so a great way session. to unwind uh, wine and politics. Yeah, well, Best why way. not? How about just have a discussion with a good friend uh, and have a little bit of alcohol, right? There you go. <laughs> While the kid is asleep. <clears throat> okay, so, yeah, Jeff Sessions, uh, we're not thrilled about him. No. He's no. definitely a swamp person. He's definitely a swamp person. He's and a swamp man. He's a, yeah, he's a nasty, smelly swamp man. And speaking of swamp men... <laughs> we also have Stephen Bannon. So a couple weeks ago, we didn't even touch um, Trump's uh, advisors. Is that what they're being called? His strategists? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. What is, what is Stephen? Isn't he like chief strategist something? Yeah, he is. Yeah, I was just okay. handed to Zachary, by the way, so this, um, this podcast may get more interesting. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so yes, Stephen Bannon, um, he is Trump's chief strategist. Mm-hmm. Many of many of our listeners will know him from Breitbart News. So mm-hmm. I wanted to figure out why so many people hate Stephen Bannon. And I was looking at his resume, right? Mm-hmm. And his resume is pretty much identical to anyone else's in Washington. Um, He graduated from 
Georgetown University school. He went mm-hmm. to Harvard. He worked at Goldman Sachs. He has some experience in Hollywood. Um, and then finally he took over Breitbart News after the founder passed away in 2012. Mm-hmm. Now, Bannon has been accused of taking Breitbart and moving it towards um, a more alt-right agenda. Mm-hmm. And so the alt-right is getting a lot of um, attention right now because they are pretty controversial, right? Um, yeah, to say the, the least. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever go pretty... to those websites? <laughs> I try not to. <laughs> yeah. I well, you should calling... go sometime. <laughs> should I really? <laughs> you should go go sometime and read the comments underneath. Like, oh geez, they're very anti-Semitic. Oh very. my gosh, yeah. I have a feeling that if I do that, I'm just going to remove myself from society entirely. I'll just be like, nope, I'm done. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, I um, I followed actually Milo Yiannopoulos' stuff for a while because he's pretty interesting. Yeah. I find him interesting mostly because of the um, points he's making about free speech and mm-hmm. especially free speech on college campuses mm-hmm. um, because I think that that's a, a huge issue today. Um, we're definitely censoring what's happening on college campuses in a very bad way. Um, so I really like that Milo will go out and speak out about that, and he speaks out about it in a very outrageous way. And so, of course, he gets a lot of attention for that. And he writes for Breitbart. But mm-hmm. other than Milo, I haven't really read any other uh, people on Breitbart News. Yeah, same here. Um, I also followed Milo for a while. He, I don't know. I he, don't even know. He's interesting. Yeah, he's pretty funny sometimes. Um, I disagree with a lot of stuff that he says. Yeah. Uh, but he really cracks me up. <laughs> and I kind of like, well, I kind of like it when he gets those people all riled up, I have to admit. Yeah, I mean, it, it brings this, this kind of satisfaction in the same way that Trump does when he riles people up. Where yeah. you're like, you know, these people that are just, you know, they, they have this attitude that they can just throw a temper tantrum and get their way. Mm-hmm. Um, to see someone kind of look at them and, and say, no, you know, you, you don't get your way for acting like this. I'm going to say and do whatever I feel like it. And if you have a problem yeah. with it, then too bad, so sad. That's, mm-hmm. that's very satisfying. That's very gratifying in a way. It is, and you don't even have to. You don't even have to agree with what the person is saying to be satisfied at them. You know, not bo- not backing down, not apologizing. Right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And you know, when we talk about the reasons that we're doing this podcast, I feel that we have a lot of the same um, ulterior motives. Right, we want to be able to. <laughs> to kind of say what we feel and, and kind of put it out there in people's faces in an unapologetic kind of way um, because it's so yeah. difficult to do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Um, I mean, it's also a little bit terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it is but, a little scary. But these things, they need to be out there. We, we need yeah. to put out 
new ideas or even, you know, ideas that other people have but they just aren't saying. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> we kind of veered right. off of Steve Bannon, didn't we? We did. I know. It's just thinking, okay, so back to Steve Bannon. <laughs> All right. So back to Steve, Steve Bannon. Bannon um, yes. Yeah, so he's been accused of taking Breitbart into an alt-right um, agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that specifically with writers such as Milo. Um, mm-hmm. who Although he's has, not an anti-Semitic, just to clarify. No, and he's, he seems like he doesn't really like to identify himself with the alt-right. It seems like Stephen Bannon's the same way. And Trump mm-hmm. is the same way as well, where they don't like to associate themselves with the alt-right, but they sure do mm-hmm. give them a platform to speak off of. Yeah. Um, so this is why Steve Bannon is getting a lot of hate, is because he, mm-hmm. he seems to be representing and uh, giving a platform to these people. Um, he also kind of revels in doing that. Um, he did a interview in November um, where he responded to some of the criticisms that have been made against him. And his response is that darkness is good. And he, he references Dick Cheney, Darth Vader, Satan. He says, that's power. It only helps us when they get it wrong, when they're blind to what we're doing. So he really likes being characterized as this villain because he feels like if people are focused on him being the villain, they're not paying attention to what he's really doing and he can kind of do whatever he wants to do. You know, there might be some truth to that. Mm-hmm. Now he's saying, he's saying it's a good thing. I think it's a bad thing. Um, I think it would be better to be objective about these people, like, for example, I mean, this is, we can kind of see this with Trump, people Mm -hmm. pitching absolute fits over things that are probably comparatively minor. Um, And are they going to be objectively looking at his presidency and what he does? No, 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 because they've already, he's, he has that brand already. He uh-huh. has that racist, sexist, um, you know, disgusting brand already. And so it doesn't matter what he does, right? And you see that with things that he's done already. Um, and the people that he's associated himself with, and the person we'll talk about next actually comes to mind when I, when I say that. But um, mm-hmm. everything's tainted. Everything that he touches is tainted by those that don't like him because they don't like him. Mm-hmm. So he can do and it's kind of the same with Obama, to, to be fair. Um, there's a whole lot of people that did not look at his presidency at all objectively. I mean, there's a lot to objectively dislike. Right. But instead they focused on a lot of stuff that may or may not, you know, it's probably fiction. Things like he's a Muslim. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all that kind of Which, stuff. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not really helpful it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't change anything it doesn't bring any light to the actual bad things that they are doing right um yeah so we're going to try and stay very far away from doing that uh, yes so i think that the scariest thing about bannon is not necessarily that he is um giving a platform to the alt-right uh writers and journalists 
of our generation, mm-hmm. um, but more so that he understands that by having that negative attention on him, he can do what he really wants to do. And he declared that he's not a white nationalist. He's just a nationalist, period. He's an economic nationalist is what he called himself. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, and again, you know, we just talked about Jeff Sessions, but nationalism is way scarier than racism. We have a chief strategist now to the president and an attorney general and a president that, again, just wants to give our country this bear, bear hug, big bear hug and never let us go. They're squeezing too tightly. They're squeezing very tightly, and that's not going to make our country great again. Yeah, so, oh gosh, let's hope very hard that they do not actually wrap us up in a whole bunch of protectionist deals. That's bad. Yes. Free trade is good. Free trade (laughs) is good. You know, if you want to make America great again, you don't do that by putting us in a fishbowl. You do that by creating an open, unregulated market. Mm-hmm. and limit the scope of government. Yeah, by a lot. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> we need to talk about um, Kellyanne Conway. Are you ready yes. for this segue, or did you have more? No, I'm good. Let's talk about Kellyanne. Okay, so she, I think, is better than the other two. Yes, <laughs> most definitely. Yeah. So, um, by leaps and bounds. Yes. By leaps and bounds. So um, one thing I saw about her is that she favors um, a path to citizenship for people who are already here, and I think that that is a really, really great um, comparison, you know, against the other two that we were just talking about. Yes, and she really seems to influence Trump and his thinking. Yes. Yes, she does. And she seems to have her finger kind of on the pulse of politics in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we talked about that. It seems like she's probably going to be um, very helpful in figuring out what the people want. So, Yes. So we can yeah. talk a little bit about her background in terms of how that relates to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's worked with polling businesses for quite some time. Mm-hmm. So she really does understand how to collect data from Americans in terms of what they want, in terms of what they're looking for, in terms of trends mm-hmm. happening in the country. She knows how to analyze that data, and she knows how to use that data. And that was very well represented in the way that she ran Donald Trump's campaign and focusing on uh, certain states, certain counties, um, and turning a lot of traditionally Democratic counties Republican by really speaking right. to their values. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> so she had a historic moment. Her historic moment, yes. <laughs> <laughs> she became the first um, woman to ever 
head a uh, a winning presidential campaign. So yes, and the first you. woman ever to run a Republican general election uh, right. presidential campaign. Yeah. So now, why wasn't that greeted with accolades and weeping well, happy tears? Well, Jenny, it's because you know Trump wants to grab all women by the hoo has. <laughs> I wondered if you were going to say it. (laughs) (laughs) I can't say it. (laughs) I don't think I could either. Yeah, it's it's that. And also maybe she's not a feminist. (laughs) You know, that's funny, though, because although she may not be a traditional or a um, modern-day feminist, I do believe that she is a traditional feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the, the fact that she has four children, she's a married woman, and she's a very high-powered, um, outspoken woman. She mm-hmm. has been appearing as a commentator um, on politics for quite some time now, even before she ran Trump's campaign. Uh, mm-hmm. She's appeared on ABC, CBS, NBC, PBS, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. Um, she's been all over the place for a long time. Mm-hmm. And didn't she win an award for that? She won a crystal ball award um, for accurately predicting the 2004 elections. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she's worked for different politicians before. Um, she's been in the game for a long time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she's you know what she seems like to me. She's one of those people that's like always in the background, doing the hard work. You know, you know what I mean. Like she, yeah, she's crunching the data. She's got her head down and she's doing what needs to be done. Yeah, she's definitely co- the conductor. She's definitely orchestrating mm-hmm. behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and with Trump's campaign, she was kind of brought into the the forefront. Um, and given a lot more attention than she had previously. And I think that that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing about it, though, as we mentioned, is that um, a lot of feminists and a lot of women in general just don't like her. Um, yeah. So why is that? Is it just because she ran Trump's campaign and a lot of women don't like Trump? Or is there another reason, do you think? Um. I think that it's probably partly Trump. I think it would be the case if she had run any um, Republicans campaign, you know, and I think that that really leads us into what we were talking about today, identity politics. Which yeah, in my yeah opinion, definitely. <laughs> yes. In my opinion <clears throat> is just collectivism by another name. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Jenny, you've read some really interesting um, stuff that Anne Rand has written about um, objectivism and racism. So tell us a little bit about the research that you've done so far. Okay, well, um, do you want me to just read the quote? Yeah, absolutely. Whatever you think is the best way to present that. All right. So um, what I've got in front of me is the Ayn Rand lexicon. 
uh, Objectivism from A to Z. And if you're not familiar with the book, I really recommend it. It's uh, very interesting. It does not a sub- substitute, of course, for her full-length works. But what it is, it's kind of like a dictionary. Um, and it has all these subjects that she has talked about, and then it has relevant quotes um, on the subject um, from from different writings that she has. <clears throat> so I'm under collectivism right now, and that's page 74 um, in the lexicon. And mm-hmm. the first quote I have is, collectivism means the subjugation of the individual to a group, whether to a race, class, or state does not matter. Collectivism holds that man must be chained to collective action and collective thought for the sake of what is called the common good. That is from her essay, The Only Path to Tomorrow, um, in Reader's Digest, January 1944. Okay. All right. So, to me, that's really obvious. Um, Feminism, uh, nationalism, two sides of the same coin, um, they both subjugate the individual to the collective. The collective goal is what is important, and the individual doesn't really matter in those those people's minds. Okay. Right. So, the second, so, right. so when we talk about someone like Kellyanne, um, I think we can say part of the reason why a lot of women don't like her is because she doesn't fit neatly into that feminist um, point of view, right? She doesn't right. fit nice and neat into what they want a woman to be or what they expect a woman to be. Right, because a lot of feminist, uh, modern feminist um, fem- feminism is liberalism um, and even socialism, um, you know, if you are, if you're a woman who is not following the narrative, you are out of the pack. Um, you're a traitor. You know, it's, this is what I was saying about her not getting the accolades for being the first woman to run um, a successful presidential campaign is they, they didn't cheer for her because she's not on their team. They, they don't right. recognize her achievement, although you would think um, that feminists who care a whole lot about women being equally represented in every field, this would be a big deal, um, even if it was someone that they didn't like, especially if it's someone that they didn't like because the winner was Republican and Republican right. anti-woman, right? <laughs> so, no, that's not the case, though. Um, she is not in the right group. Um, she is following her individual path and her individual um, values and ideas. And uh, let's see, what did she say? She is not chaining herself to collective action and collective thought for the sake mm-hmm. of what is called the common good. Got it. Yeah. So um, that was the first quote. Let me see if there, if the other ones that I have noted here are relevant right now in the discussion. Not really right now, unless you want me to go ahead and read them and kind of see where that takes us. Yeah, yeah, let's read the next one and see what that sparks. Okay, so the next one, um, there's a ton of them, but I've only highlighted three. Um, It's from Capitalism, The Unknown Ideal. Uh, The article is Extremism or the Art of Smearing. 
fascism so, and communism. What was that? The art of the art of smearing. Yeah, extremism oh, or that. the or the art of smearing. <laughs> yeah. Do you have Do you have capitalism, the unknown ideal? That's a good one. No, I don't. Okay. Um, so fascism and communism are not two opposites, but two rival gangs fighting over the same territory. Both are variants of statism based on the collectivist principle that man is the rightless slave of the state. So I guess that would have been more appropriate when we were talking about Jeff Sessions and Steve Bannon. Right. right. Um, <laughs> these guys, they're not, they're not the antidote to communism. They're just another side of it. And we need to be concerned when someone is not talking about individual rights and individualism Mm -hmm. as the antidote to communism, but instead nationalism and protectionism. These are, these stem from the same idea. So what people like Jeff Sessions and Bannon are talking about is not quite communism in that they believe that, you know, working people should be working and giving their their um, income, you know, with their earning for their work to the state to redistribute as the state sees fit. Uh, but they do see people as a tool for the state. And um, they do see people as not having individual rights. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they see people as almost pawns for the state. And, and you're absolutely right. That's just as dangerous as communism or socialism. Right. So, <laughs> not good. Okay, um, and then did you want to hear the last one on collectivism? Absolutely. Okay, <clears throat> so this is from uh, an essay called Who Will Protect Us from Our Protectors? Um, and that is in the Objectivist Newsletter, May 1962. Mm-hmm. So the quote is, The political philosophy of collectivism is based on a view of man as a congenital incompetent, a helpless, mindless creature who must be fooled and ruled by a special elite with some unspecified claim to superior wisdom and a lust for power. Mm. And there you go. That's That's a vast majority of politicians. Okay, yes. And that definitely also reminded me of a conversation, Jen, that you and I had last week about um, Meryl Streep and her, did I say her last oh, name gosh. right? Meryl? Yes, Meryl, Meryl Streep. Yeah. Meryl Streep. That's insane. Well, you don't talk about said. her all day long? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't watch a lot of movies either. So. <laughs> but oh, we, um, we were discussing Meryl Streep's um, <clears throat> speech that she gave at the Golden Globes where she talked about Trump. And she talked specifically about the incident where Trump made fun of a disabled reporter. Um, And basically she accused Trump of using his power and his position to take away this person's voice. Right. Now, this person is a reporter. Uh, He's a successful reporter. He obviously has a voice. He's obviously not disabled to the point where he can't express himself and his opinions and defend himself if he wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that he chose to. I think that he um, chose to ignore what Trump said about him during his speech. Um, but Meryl Streep was really applauded for her 
speech when really what she did is she treated this individual like he couldn't take care of himself, right? Like because right. he because he has a disability that he has no power. Mm-hmm. And that's really a form of oppression. And it's a form of oppression that a lot of progressives um, have a tendency to take part in when they, they try indulge to indulge in. <laughs> indulge in. That's a good word for it because what they do yeah. is they take minorities, they take mm-hmm. disabled people, and they take away their power. They take away their voice. They tell them, hey, you know what? Um, you know, you were oppressed by this oppressor. And the suppressor has taken away your voice, so I have to speak for you. Right. Yeah, and that's, that is a major, major feature of the left is finding people who they believe cannot, for some reason, take care of themselves. Oh, lately, I don't know, all the – in my Internet hopping, it's been a bunch of people freaking out about not having free birth control anymore. <laughs> And that gets me so riled up because... Because they're afraid of on. Obamacare being repealed? Yes. Yes, they oh. are. They're afraid that women will now have to pay for their own birth control. And that oh. really... Come on. Women can pay for birth control? What? But we're not, we're not, we're not taking away insurance, right? We're just taking away nationalized insurance. Right? We still have insurance. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, but it's not going to be compulsory to pay for um, birth control anymore. So, you know, women are going to end up so, having to pay co-pays or, you, or whatever. But, but, but wait, so Jenny, wait, Jenny. But, what? like, if you're shopping, if you're on the market for insurance, mm-hmm. yes. you know that birth control is something that you have to pay for each month. Yes. Wouldn't you specifically shop for an insurance policy that covers birth control? Like, right. And yeah, when I mean, insurance companies realize that that, you know, is something that people want out of their insurance policy, and wouldn't they be incentivized to offer a policy that covers birth control? Yeah, or at least partially covers. <laughs> I, I mean, right? I would think so. Yeah, I don't know. Um if, if insurance know. companies are only motivated by profits, right, and if they're only motivated by selling the most insurance policies they can to the most people that they can, and they know that women make up 50% of the population or more, I think actually there's mm-hmm. more women than men, and yeah. the majority of them do want access to birth control, that's a huge pool of, of potential customers, right, that they would want to appeal towards. So why wouldn't they offer that as one of their, their features of their product? Kristen, Kristen, you're getting all free market on me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you know I can't handle that. No, I just, I agree. I agree with what you're saying, of course. Um, I just, I find it really frustrating when, when women minorities, you know, whatever group um, the left decides are oppressed and, and can't handle their lives for themselves, 
it's just it's really frustrating, isn't it? I mean, okay, if you need yeah. birth control, um, you can budget it in, correct? And if you don't have the money for that, then you're going to have to rely on charity. And frankly, there's a lot of places that will help you out with that. Well, and there's also other forms of birth control that aren't prescribed to you by your doctor. Um, yeah. There are forms of birth control that are over-the-counter, um, mm-hmm. i.e. condoms, that, yeah. that seem to work perfectly fine as well. So, you know, there are alternatives out there on the market to prescription birth control. Yeah, there's all kinds of things. And then, but it's not, it's not, it's not limited to women buying birth control. It's people can't get a job if there's not laws forcing people to hire you. You know, there's just, it's, it goes so deep. Um, it, It just, it goes really really deep and in fact you could broaden the birth control thing to insurance itself as if people are not able to procure health care just by a person um, right we're not smart enough to we're not smart enough to understand insurance policies so we need the government to take care of that for us definitely yes we absolutely do i i don't get it i need help and the person that i want to help me is a government employee. Absolutely. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no offense, I've, government um, employees. <laughs> I, I've seen that the reaction to the Obamacare possibly being repealed and replaced, and mm-hmm. I think it's, it's an extreme overreaction. It's almost like people are, yeah, it's almost like people are think that the entire insurance, health insurance industry is going away, and we've only had Obamacare for, what, two years? Maybe three years? Uh, we, I think it was we did 2011. Have, was it? Okay. It seems like it's been way shorter than <laughs> Well, so they passed it, and then it was going to take a few years to go for different po- portions of it to come into effect. But, I mean, uh, okay. here's, the, here's, the, here's my beef with it, okay? They're acting like it's a good. it was a good program in the first place. Right. No. Like... <sighs> I've been I've had some internet conversations with people. I cannot afford to use my insurance. I just I can't. We have no. huge huge deductibles. Um mm-hmm. so you pay for it every month because you have to. Mm-hmm. And then if you go to the doctor I got a blood test once that cost nine hundred dollars. <laughs> That's crazy. No, and I no. you know, I told you my experience with it. I had a my um the company that I work for does not offer benefits. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had private insurance. Mm-hmm. I had a wonderful policy for my daughter and myself that covered exactly what I wanted it to cover. It was mm-hmm. $125 a month. It went up to $400 a month. Oh, to sure. get a, so I went from a really good plan with a low deductible uh, to basically paying $400 a month. Now I pay close to $400 a month for basically a catastrophic insurance plan. It has a very high deductible. I don't use it. Yeah. None of my yep. doctors are on it. I don't use it. Yeah. So, yay, Obamacare. <laughs> yay. Yeah. Oh, so sad that it's going away. Boo-hoo. Oh, no, I'm so sad. <laughs> All right. So um, we're getting a little bit – I'm just looking at the clock. Um, where do you want to go from here? Do you want to briefly discuss the um, Facebook thing or no? 
Oh. The, the beating that happened? Yeah. Yeah. We can start with that. That was yeah, very that's, sad. That's a heavy, heavy topic. Um, mm-hmm. So there was a, um, you know, there was something that happened on Facebook a couple of weeks ago where a man was basically, I think, kidnapped, kind of taken off the street um, by four individuals <clears throat> for being um, white. Um, they assumed that he was a Trump supporter. I'm not too sure if he actually told them that he was a Trump supporter or if they just assumed that he was a Trump supporter because he was white. Mm-hmm. Um, they took him to this house. They uh, beat him. They um, made him make disparaging comments about himself. Um, they made him drink toilet water, I believe. Just a bunch of really disgusting things. Now, it's, it's a really upsetting thing that happened. Um, but the four individuals that um, committed the crime were arrested. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are being charged uh, with the crime. And they are being charged with hate crimes. So that's really what um, I felt fit into our conversation today regarding identity politics is the idea of the hate crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can get really disturbed by this and, and look at it um, from either direction. You know, if you are a minority person, um, the idea of a group of people, um, you know, the Ku Klux Klan, for example, um, coming to your neighborhood, pulling you off the street, beating you up, just because of your nationality is really mm-hmm. scary. Uh, being a white yeah. person, the idea of, you know, being beat up by a minority group of people because of your skin color is equally scary. Um, right. But we seem to have... Um, you know, being beat up by anyone is scary. But we yes. seem to have designated some of these crimes as hate crimes because of the thoughts that you're thinking in your head against the mm-hmm. person that you're beating up while you're committing those crimes. Should we have that designation in law? I don't think so. <laughs> I, don't I really think don't. think so, Jenny? <laughs> I'm sorry? I said, why, why don't, don't you think so? Think so? <laughs> because as disgusting as it is, um, people have the right to their thoughts, and they have the right to. Even I mean, even speak if those thoughts, even if they think really mean thoughts, do they still have have their yes. rights about that? Yes, really? they still. And in fact, that's no. where um, the right to what freedom if, of speech those and such are important. Really hurt my feelings. Well, I'm sorry for you, <laughs> but it's. <laughs> It's not, here's the thing, this guy getting beaten was, is extremely sad, extremely sad, yeah. because, even more so because he was disabled, um, right. but hating someone is not a crime. You're not right. actually physically harming anyone with the thoughts, and what they did, their actions, are a crime. So I, I don't see the point in in having something labeled as a hate crime. It's a crime or it's not a crime. And there you go. So that leads really nicely into a quote about racism that I have here. Would you like to Oh, great. Yes. Okay. So racism is the lowest, most crudely primitive form of collectivism. It is the notion of ascribing moral, social, or political significance to a man's genetic lineage the notion that a man's intellectual and characterological traits 
are produced and transmitted by his internal body chemistry, which means in practice that a man is to be judged not by his own character and actions, but by the characters and actions of a collective of ancestors. Mm. And then it goes on to say, there's a paragraph that I'm going to skip. Um, it goes on to say, like every form of determinism, racism invalidates the specific attribute which distinguishes man from all other living species, his rational faculty. Racism negates two aspects of a man's life, reason and choice, or mind and morality, replacing them with chemical predestination. That is from racism. Uh, that's an essay in The Virtue of Selfishness. Mm. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's what's going on here. It's a form of collectivism. It's a particularly bad one because it doesn't um, rely on anything except superficial traits, things which you have no control over. And mm-hmm. essentially it just, you make a judgment on someone based on their skin color or the shape of their eyes, you know, right. Or, or things that their family has done or their ancestors have done or people that share the same nationality as them have done. Um, Um, So we just, we just had MLK day, you know, what's the famous MLK um, quote to judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin, which is a wonderful quote. And Mm -hmm. I absolutely um, believe that it should be practiced it should yes. be the goal of our society to be yes. a colorblind society. We don't get there with identity politics. We're not judging individuals Absolutely. by their character and their their intellectual abilities, their unique talents. We're judging them by by what they what group they belong to and just just by looking at them, what group we think they belong to. Right. It, Characteristics that they were born with not right. who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. Right. And and both sides do this, um, Republicans and Democrats. The alt-right is really bad about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So n- there aren't very many people who are really fully exempt um, from doing that. And I think that's sad. And that's what we need to fight against. We need to fight against collectivism in all forms. We need to spread the idea um, of that individualism is what matters. Individualism is how we thrive as, as human beings in this life on earth. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a great point, Jen. Thank great, you. great point. Thanks. So on that note, we're going to um, wrap up the show today. Um, We are going to continue this conversation next week, um, talk a little bit more about collectivism and especially the effects that it's having on free speech, uh, Mm -hmm. specifically in the colleges and universities in our country and also in Canada. I have three cases that I want to talk about specifically Mm -hmm. Um, The first one is uh, Jordan Peterson, who is a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto, um, who (laughs) he um, has gotten a lot of attention in Canada because he refuses to use gender-neutral pronouns. Um, That's going to be interesting. Yes, there is this very large list of gender-neutral pronouns that he was expected to begin using with his students, and he said that it violated his free speech. 
Um, and he's involved with a debate with the university over that. Um, the other one that I want to talk about is Professor Anthony Eslin. Um, he wrote an article about diversity, uh, basically arguing that some of the diversity programs that the college had initiated uh, weren't exactly promoting diversity. They were basically promoting one point of view, one opinion. Um, and so he got um, a lot of negative feedback from his university and uh, his students. Um, the last case that I want to talk about is, is a pretty infamous case. Um, it was Professors Nicholas and Erica Christakis, and their husband and wife, um, professors at Yale. Uh, Yale, in 2015, decided that its students were not allowed to wear uh, costumes that were inappropriate or offensive or appropriated other cultures. Mm -hmm. And um, these professors wrote um, about this saying, you know what, is this really necessary? Do we really have to tell our students who are adults what they can and cannot wear, what's appropriate to wear, um, that you can't offend the people, with, that your costume is going to actually offend people? Mm -hmm. And the reaction that they got from the students at Yale was just disgusting and really weird. Um, and <laughs> very weird. Very weird. <laughs> and so I, I know it's a little bit of an old story, but I do want to I do want to talk about it uh, because I think it's a really interesting story. And what I wanted to wrap up here with today, and kind of tease for our next episode, is a quote um, from Erica. Uh, Professor Erica Christakis, and this is what she had to say about this rule against the Halloween costumes. She wrote, I wonder, and I'm not trying to be provocative, is there no room anymore for a child or a young person to be a little bit obnoxious, a little bit inappropriate, or provocative, or yes, offensive? American universities were once a safe space, not only for maturation, but also for a certain regressive or even transgressive experience. Increasingly, it seems, they have become places of censure and prohibition. And the censure and prohibition come from above, not from yourself. Are we all okay with this transfer of power? Have we lost faith in young people's capacity and your capacity? to exercise self-censure through social norming and also, through, uh, and also in your capacity to ignore or reject things that trouble you. And that's really going to be the focus of our next, um, of our next podcast is why is it so hard for young people to just ignore things that offend them? <laughs> That'll be good. We're, we, you know, we didn't really get into actual identity politics in this. We kind of just did an intro, you know? Yes. Like why, why identifying people as merely big groups that are all supposed to conform is bad. And then I guess next episode we're really going to get into 
identity politics. Yeah, the effects of be that, what happens when you, when you do that. Right, and, and how it's playing out right now. Man, colleges are just, oh gosh, they must be really dramatic now. I mean, they're definitely not places for free speech, free expression, um, opening of minds, learning of different points of views and perspectives, which is really what college is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be an experience where you learn. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't just get reinforced in terms of your own opinion. Yeah, you, you come in already knowing what's correct. Yeah, it's, you're supposed to be challenged. You're supposed to be offended. You're supposed to be put in these uncomfortable positions where you have to defend your point of view, or if you can't defend your point of view, accept that maybe there's an issue with your point of view, and it's time to accept you know, that there's something more, something else out there for you to accept. Um, and it's really sad that, that these are the places that we're sending our children to. These are the places that we're sending our next great generation to, mm-hmm. and we're treating them like they're toddlers. <laughs> oh, gosh, I have a toddler. Yeah, we don't want a whole yeah. group of adults to act like toddlers, right? Toddlers yeah. are adorable, but, you know, sometimes they're not adorable. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, they're supposed to pass out of that stage. It's supposed to be fleeting. Right, right. Right, exactly. Okay. All right. Well, that's something to look forward to. Yes, I'm definitely looking forward to our next show. And just to remind the people that are listening today, we are on iTunes. Make sure you subscribe to our show. And also make sure you leave us a five-star review. Um, And then you can also like and follow us on Facebook, Blog Talk Radio, CastBox, Stitcher. Um, I know we're on a number of other podcasting apps. If you can't find us and you want us on your particular podcasting app, um, shoot us a message through Facebook, and I'll see what I can do in terms of getting us on that particular app. Um, Jenny, did you have any final thoughts today? Nope. Uh, I finished my glass of wine, so... I'm going to go finish my uh, daiquiri. Thank you to everyone that joined us today. We really do appreciate you, and we are looking forward to talking to you next week. Or right, no, bye, bye, guys. In, in two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Right. right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.